The Navis and Frank present a comic book podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Navis and Frank. Hi, I'm Amanda. I'm the novice. That's Frank. And I'm Frank, and I'm the Frank. That's right. He puts the Frank in Frank. Uh, so um, we have a topic we're going to discuss, but we actually have some special guests with us here tonight. So we are going to do our uh, traditional improvised theme song, and we'll kick it off. Frank, right. you want to get us started? Or do you want That's me right. to? Comics! Comics, comics, comics. Come out every Wednesday. Looking at the pages, graphic novels, and comic books. <laughs> with the novice. And Frank. That's a pretty hot song, guys. I yeah, know you guys you, are pretty you broke. Impressed. You didn't land the joke, I dude. I couldn't. You just started clapping. Great. It's wow. fantastic. All right. Uh, we want to introduce our special yes, guests? Yes, we have two guests here with us. Uh, as always, we record the podcast here at Meltdown Comics here on Sunset Boulevard in sunny and beautiful and now a little heat wave ridden Los <laughs> Angeles, California. That's right. Yes. And as we're walking in, we found these two gentlemen here doing signing today. So we have Josh Corrin, who's got uh, Deadpool Too Soon. Coming out from Marvel, uh, an infinite comic. Now they're having the first hard copy of the first two issues. Mm -hmm. uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The first two issues collected and uh, came out today. Excellent. Great. And with Eric Mona doing uh, Pathfinder, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Fantastic. Which is based on an RPG game. That's exactly right. Excellent. Yep. Uh, so I'm here to learn a lot tonight. I'm very excited about it. But the point being uh, that I very awkwardly went and asked these guys if they wanted to come in and talk about what they were doing with us, and uh, they cool coolly said yes. So we've got them here now. Yeah. And now you're our prisoners. Now you're, now you're never. You're just gonna keep, <laughs> so we're just going to keep singing until you just slowly back out of the door. Or until uh, we join in. Or That's until right. in go. a perfect world. Yeah, in a perfect world, you'll join in. Well, cool. I guess the first thing the coolest part about it is, uh, Eric, you've been involved with Pathfinder from the very beginning. Yep. And Josh, you were coming from novels and, and working in comics. So just kind of interesting approaching it from both sides, coming in with something that you've are been there from the beginning, and you're coming in on a creator-owned, uh, on a, a company-owned property. So what? Uh, how did you? how did you get involved in this? Uh, well, it, it's, uh, and you mentioned uh, company-owned property. I mean, that, that's actually, uh, it's so exciting for me to just get to play around with all these uh, company, you know, Marvel characters uh, like, you know, Deadpool, obviously, but also Squirrel Girls in the book and Spider-Ham and uh, uh, the Punisher and so on and so forth. And basically, they said, who would you like to uh, have get killed? And <laughs> I, I said, well, well here's, here's a list. And uh, but it's it's done all, all with love and um, as with everything Deadpool does uh, with love and uh, psychosis. Um, <laughs> and uh, I got involved. Uh, the editor for the Deadpool books, Jordan White, he asked me. He asked me if I wanted to do this. He basically said, uh, "Let's do a murder mystery with Deadpool." And I said, "Great. How about if we do Deadpool meets Clue the movie as like a setup?" And and he was like, "Yeah, great. Let's do it." And that's uh, how I ended up writing for comic books, which I've been basically wanting to do since I was uh, six. So uh, it's it's been a little bit of a journey, but I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, that's all. Now, Eric, for you, for Pathfinder, for this particular series, it is a combination of not just Pathfinder characters, but all of the different property characters as well. So you get like Red Sonja, you get right. uh, John Carter of Mars. Yep. So what's it like taking characters that you've worked on and created and then incorporating other people's creations as well? It's kind of amazing. You know, I mean, uh, the comic is called Pathfinder Worldscape, and, and I kind of came up with the idea of like, let's do a big fantasy crossover. Dynamite had already done crossovers with their pulp characters and their mask series, and they did a um, steampunk thing. 
that Bill Willingham did called uh, Legendary. Oh, Bill, and, Bill's great. Oh, he's such yeah. a great writer. Oh. And so I was like kind of inspired by that. And also because I kind of, um, you know, I'm the, the chief creative officer for the Pathfinder brand. And I was the guy who set up the, the deal with Dynamite and signed the contracts and everything. And I'm reading through the contracts and it's like, oh, and if we cross over your characters with these others, you get this percentage and all that. And I'm like, ooh, if we cross over our characters. <laughs> now that's, how about that? And so pretty much from the beginning, I said to, to uh, the, the guys at Dynamite, you know, I think what we should do is you've done such a great job collecting, you know, your pulp characters. You've done a great job collecting, you know, a steampunk take on a lot of your fantasy characters. But let's just do like a sword and sorcery super group. And um, when you have characters to pick from like Red Sonia and John Carter of Mars and, you know, a lot of the characters that sort of inspired fantasy tabletop role-playing, period, you know. Um, I mean, the first D&D book came out in 1974, mm. somewhere in there, and Red Sonia was born in 1972, 1973, so it's like right, you know, that's the stuff these guys were reading when they were doing that original like D&D fit. stuff. Yeah, and so as Pathfinder is in its own way sort of an offshoot of that D&D tradition, you know, the idea of taking the what we call our iconic characters, so, you know, Valoros the fighter, Sione the sorcerer, Mauricio the rogue, and Kira the cleric, and then and teaming them up with, you know, John Carter and the Green Martian, Tars, Tarkas, and, you know, all these, like, amazing sort of, I mean, I don't think it's it's going too far in the case of the Edgar Rice Burroughs characters, especially to say that, I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of mythological characters, you know, I mean, they are the beginnings of fantasy, you know, that's like 1905. 1908 something like that was uh was the the first uh, princess of mars in argosy and in um or was it all story it's one of the two someone's going to correct me so <laughs> um but anyway like that that goes way back you know and so to be able to kind of take characters that were ultimately inspired by that tradition and then jam them up where they're talking to their inspirations to me was a really interesting look at like what what is a hero you know what is a what does it mean what what's the continuity there and and uh I basically just got to pick whatever characters I wanted, which was pretty rad. That's cool, because Dan, Dan Red has so many uh, characters underneath the different properties that they're working with. Yeah. So is it you just saying, I like to work with these, and it's just as simple as that, or do they have to go back to those individual and get the approvals from yeah, all those? Yeah, I mean, they, they, they had to run it by the rights owners, and they approved the scripts and everything like that. So, But uh, so far, I have to say, I haven't gotten, there was no changes. I mean, there, there were a couple of characters I wanted to use that... Um, didn't work out, you know, just because we also have uh, game rules in the mm -hmm. back of every issue, yeah. and some people's properties are sliced up in a way where the game rights are encumbered, you know, because some other company has them or whatever. So I couldn't use every character I wanted, but it's... with one big exception, I got to use everybody else. And then, you know, I've turned in the first four scripts for it so far. It's a six-issue series, and there's been no editorial changes from the other licensors or That's Dynamite great. or anything. Yeah. Well, it's always, it's so hard. I work for Warner Brothers Animation um, on a show called Wabbit, which is a Looney Tunes production. And it's, I was going to ask, because both, you know, both of you guys are, you're working with characters that have a history and that have a legacy already. And do you find that difficult? Because to, to, uh, do you ever, are you ever worried if somebody on, on your back or whether it's yourself or somebody else kind of like, don't ruin this legacy? Because I know that with Looney Tunes, they're really precious about it, you know, and everything. I feel like, um, you know, even for even in the lineup of all new productions, when we were brand new, they we only got access to a tiny handful of characters because they didn't trust us yet. Really, you know, and they slowly release more rights as you get more creative, and they see okay, they're not tarnishing this image. Is that been challenging for you guys? Uh, it, it, it's it, it kind of for me. It was like this. Uh, I was on the phone. Uh, would you like to try Deadpool? Yeah, that's great. Oh my gosh, I'd love to try Deadpool. <coughs> Hang up the phone. Oh my God, <laughs> I have to write Deadpool. Like the pressure uh, to get that right is uh, what 
was daunting and enormous. And uh, because I have so much respect for uh, the character, and as a fan, I have respect for uh, the fans of the character. So um, yeah, it, for me, it was important to get the character right. But it's also, uh, I believe that story, the story comes first. And as, uh, as vital as it is to maintain continuity, story trumps continuity, mm. I've always believed. And in fact, some of the books that have bothered me uh, from, uh, you know, some comic books are the ones that uh, exist specifically just to retcon and don't really yeah. tell a good story, mm -hmm. but they exist to kind of um, plug what is perceived to be a hole. And sometimes it can uh, end up being very creative, but sometimes it can also feel just contrived and uh, silly. So uh, I looked at it from uh, you know understanding the character and having read the character for a, a while, I kind of had an idea of how to write the character. And at the end of the day, I say, okay, I just have to have fun with the character. I just have to have the character be, have Deadpool be Deadpool. Yeah. Uh, and uh, because some of the people who, who pick up the book, maybe they've never read a Deadpool comic before. This guy, me. So. Yeah. And, <laughs> I have now, but I would I would have been one of those people, you know? So if you're, yeah. if it doesn't, I have found that. I found that with, you know, with um, characters that have this long history that sure. I'm not picking up the history. I'm not picking yeah. up, you know, Batman from 62 or whatever. I'm yeah. reading today's Batman or 52 Batman or whatever. And if the story's not there, I'm not going to sure. keep reading it you know and, and yeah. I think that's challenging I would imagine as a creator to, to, to stay true to the integrity of the character and the history that all the longtime fans like Frank are looking for mm -hmm. but still make it palatable for somebody new well I think I think every comic book needs to be written as if it's someone's first comic book mm -hmm. and sure you include the continuity for the people who are following that but you also try your best to make it as fresh and appealing to uh, a new reader as possible yeah, super easy, right? It's like really easy. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so Eric, for you, where it's like some of the characters you have to be precious with, or if you're using John Carter of Mars, you're yeah. using Red Sonia, but then you've also got your characters that fans uh, love and and appreciate for your own. So how do you balance juggling those two, trying to service people that love those original characters and people that love your characters? Well, the the characters that we created for Pathfinder kind of come relatively easy to me, just because I've been involved with putting words in their mouth almost from the very beginning, you know, and so I'm not, you know, it's daunting, you don't want to mess it up, but but it's kind of like mine to mess up, whereas you know, John Carter and Red Sonia, those are not mine, I mean, very emphatically, those are not mine, those are toys I'm basically borrowing you know, for this storyline, and I think with that comes a responsibility not to you know, wrench off their arms and <laughs> you know, cut their hair like a like a Barbie or something, Say you know, so, yeah. yeah, you know yeah. and so so there is, I think, a little bit of a, of a, a weight of responsibility, you know when you're dealing with these uh, characters that have been around for decades, um, or just even popular characters that have been around for a couple of years. You know, I mean, it's, it's um, yeah, that part can be challenging. You know, there's a third class of characters in Pathfinder Worldscape, which after I'd sort of established which of the Pathfinder characters we were going to use, which of the, you know, John Carter and Red Sonia and Tars Tarkas and Tarzan and all that, the guys at Dynamite were like, yeah, all right, you know, but if there's any public domain fantasy heroes you want to use from like 1940s comics and stuff, feel free. And for me, as like a paperback book collector, a comic book collector, a pulp magazine collector, someone saying, why don't you spend a year delving deep into 1940s <laughs> pulp literature is like, oh yeah, okay. You Keys know, and so, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. really, you know, and, and so that's like kind of in some ways 
almost like going into the scrap heap, you know, and finding like forgotten heroes and, and heroes that nobody, I don't want to say nobody cares about, but but that have the stakes are different. So with those characters, th- I almost come at those like I'm the champion of those characters. You know, there's a character in Pathfinder Worldscape, for example, that's this um, Fletcher Hanks character called Phantoma who's from 1940 Jungle Comics. And she's crazy. She is a beautiful blonde woman who, when she gets mad, turns blue and her face turns into the shape of a skull. And near as I can tell, she has every superpower you could ever ever imagine. And she does weird things like, you know, there's bank robbers or whatever in the jungle or whatever random jungle (laughs) villain there is. And Phantoma will do stuff like turn them into plants. You know, and all of a sudden they're like these weird, ugly plant creatures. They're like, oh, I'm a plant. You know, and it's like, what power is that? You know, and like she, she'll like wave her hand and like somebody's skin will tear off, you know, and oh you're just God. like, what the hell? And so seeing that character and having read a little bit about uh, her creator, Fletcher Hanks, who's nuts, um, I had to put her in, you know. And and so I, I, there have been a couple of people who have come to me and said, like, I can't believe you're using Phantom. Oh, my God, that's great. I mean, one of the things that's really cool about that character is she basically predates Wonder Woman. So in, in, in the view of some people, she's kind of the first female superhero ever because she's amazing. very much yeah. a superhero. Eventually, she becomes sort of just a stereotypical Sheena, Jungle Girl, like all of them. Like the story of Jungle Comics is, as far as I'm concerned, is at the beginning – they're kind of interesting and they're doing weird things like, oh, this hero is actually an empress of evil and she's a bad guy. But then slowly but surely by editorial fiat, they just homogenize and they just made them super boring. And so it's like by the end of that phenomena, I guess the Jungle Comics really sort of petered out like in the 50s. Yeah, it's like, is it Tarzan or is it Sheena? And that's yeah. it. You know, and so it's like, what's interesting about this other character who's a villain in my book called Camilla, um, Empress of the Lost Empire, who I just found in another issue of Jungle Comics. Um, she eventually turns into this, like, she starts, first issue, she's an evil, immortal, fountain of youth bathing Viking princess in this lost African kingdom in some weird valley, right? And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then in the second issue, she's got a different uniform or a different outfit. She's now the scion of Genghis Khan. (laughs) And she's even more evil. Then in the third issue, she's back to kind of the first version and she's a little bit nicer. And then by about issue five or six, she's like a full-on good guy, adventuring, like ass-kicking sword woman. And then 20 issues later, the only thing interesting about her is that she has a zebra print bikini, you know. And and so Uh, time and time again, these super interesting characters are basically ruined. Another another one is Thunder, uh, who is uh, Frank Frazetta's sort of Tarzan clone. Frazetta did one issue of Thunder, King of the Congo, 1952. It's a gorgeous comic. It's it's one of the uh, one of the only comics. Frazetta ever did from beginning to end. It was uh, co-scripted by Gardner Fox. So it's got really good pedigree. Um, And the great thing about Thunder, especially after reading dozens and dozens of jungle comics from the 40s, which, as you imagine, have a little bit different political sensibility than (laughs) we might have today. You know, Frazetta had the wisdom to crash Thunder's airplane into a lost valley filled with cavemen and dinosaurs. And so he's fighting monsters and not, you know black people yeah you know and so like (laughs) but by the end of the first issue the editor's like nah let's get rid of that whole dawn land the whole everything that's original about this character and this concept and let's just move him to the congo and he can 
Fight, you know, really crazy, over-the-top, stereotypical Africans. It's crazy because it's. I feel like you still see that. It's you see it so often. It's like these great ideas, you know, even with scripts, like script to screen, you know, and you can read if you follow anything like that. You like read the first draft of the script and you see it adapted. It's like, well, we decided to take it and make it a multi-camera sitcom. Right. And you're just like, why? What have you done? <laughs> like the wrong people get a hold of it and yeah. take mm-hmm. what's interesting and kind of beautiful about it and change it because who knows? You know, who knows why? Well, uh, what, uh, Joshua, for you, you're doing an infinite comic. That's where Deadpool too soon started off first. So it's cool where you're not just doing a standard comic book, but you're also getting to take advantage of digital format and storytelling there. So yeah. what was that like having that be your first foray? Oh, gosh. Uh, that was great. It's, uh, it's so cool i love digital digital comics uh, or in, in, the infinite uh comics and dc has uh what is their their version of it is uh called because they, they, they're doing some now too where uh it digital first and they take advantage of the digital format where uh you zoom in on panels and uh you you can really play around with uh the new form and so for me it was kind of like making an animated little animated short mm. uh, at, at, at the same, or write, writing a little animated short. And it was, uh, the layouts were uh, from Riley Brown, who basically pioneered uh, the Infinite Comic uh, format for Marvel. Uh, he did uh, Deadpool the Gauntlet, which is uh, the uh, really great uh, comic book from a couple years ago that introduced Deadpool's wife, Shikla. And a lot of people don't even know that you know Deadpool has a wife, and <laughs> uh, he does have a wife, and she's uh, an evil succubus. And because of co- of course Deadpool's wife is an evil succubus, and uh, and it's just so creative. And so to to get in uh, and play around not only with these characters, but to play around with both the medium of um, of comic books, but also then in a semi animated way is uh, I mean that, that that's a blast. Uh, and then actually I, I saw a couple weeks ago that someone had uploaded the Infinite Comic to YouTube um, illegally. And so <laughs> so I, it actually does work like a, a little animated short that they're getting money off of and we're not. You're but, like, shame on you, but it's cool to see. But, but also yeah, shame on you. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah see the show notes for the link to the illegal. Uh, yeah, right, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, I mean, it's, it's just been a blast. Well, with Deadpool, I mean, so many people have, have worked on him. I mean, certainly Rob Liefeld created him, but Fabian Nicieza, Joe Kelly, Gail Simone, That's Colin right, Bunn, yeah. Daniel Way. Yeah. Uh, uh, so many, uh, yeah. Brian Posehn. Jerry, Jerry Duggan. Jerry now. Duggan, yes. Yeah. So for you, as you're going by, do you were any of those creators like ones that you kind of gravitated towards their interpretation of the character, or are you still trying to find like your own way of telling it, but still being faithful to the core of the character? Yeah, I, I think ultimately every writer brings a little bit of their own baggage to whatever they write. Um, and hopefully th- there, there's some fun toys in that baggage, but they also have to be very true to the character. I really like, for example, what, what uh, uh, Jerry is has been doing with the character for the past couple of years. Um, but like the Joe Kelly issues are classic now, and uh, so and those are the first ones, first Deadpool books I, I read. So, uh, and also then there's the movie, which mm. you know I have to keep in mind that sometimes uh, some people that pick up the book might just know the character from the movie. So I have to. Uh, be true to that as well. Unfortunately, the movie was, uh, I thought, extremely faithful mm-hmm. to the spirit of the character as well as just being, uh, you know, a, a, a fucking great movie. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so in fact, I, uh, in issue three, there's a Ryan Reynolds joke and because uh, Deadpool would 
be aware that there is a movie. And so <laughs> the marketing for it was so great. Oh, because gosh. He, just yeah. him offering all of his own commentary and it oh, was yeah. tremendous. Yeah, they just got nominated, I think, for like a Cleo or something. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it was just really creative in a way that I've not seen before. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it, what was great about it is that it was the content dictating the form mm -hmm. rather than the other way around. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah. So, which, I mean, which is so rare and so wonderful and, and so well executed. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. Now, Eric, you got your start doing a lot more uh, writing for magazines yeah. and covering like D&D &D and things like yep. that. What made you want to take the leap from uh, writing about that stuff to saying, you know, I've got stories of my own to tell and I'd like to tell them in comic books? Well, the the very first um, batch of D&D &D books that I ever got was tucked in the back of a couple of long boxes that my dad acquired uh, when he got a big comic book collection when I was about six. And so comics and, and gaming have always kind of been the same thing for me since, from the very beginning. I mean, that box was like, you know, like a Terrigen mist that turned me into a nerd. You know what I mean? <laughs> you never even had yeah. a chance. I never had a chance, you know. And so, you know, um, one of the, the elements of the Pathfinder comics is that that's where we tell the stories of what we call our iconic characters. And so what the iconic characters are is in Pathfinder, there's 11 core classes, fighter, rogue, wizard, whatever. Mm -hmm. And rather than every time we do an illustration in one of the books that we publish for the RPG, rather than saying draw a ranger, if you don't play the game, you might not necessarily know what a ranger is. We say draw this guy, right? Mm -hmm. And in that way, there's a there's a steady look to all of our books. Like a Pathfinder book looks like a Pathfinder book because a lot of times it's the same 11 characters that are standing in as your character. Like, I don't know what your Pathfinder character looks like. So I you know, imagine your character doing what we have Valorous the Fighter doing or what have you. And so... Um, I knew because we'd done something similar with Dungeon Magazine where we created our own cast of characters. Um, I knew people were going to be intensely interested in what's the backstory of these characters. Who are they? How do they interact with one another or whatever? But to me, I always thought of them as like primarily visual. They're like visual first. And so I wanted to tell their story not in a novel or in some kind of flowery written appendix to a, an RPG book, but in a comic. So from the very beginning, I knew we're going to tell these characters' stories and we're going to do it in a comic book form. Now all we got to do is find a comic book publisher, mm. you know, and, and then uh, got in um, touch with Dynamite and the rest is history. That's so <laughs> cool. It seems so neat to, to be, because it's so much of what you do is interactive with people, you know, is it just, it seems like it'd be so neat to me to, to be like, oh, I'm just, I'm just writing somebody's hobby. I'm writing somebody's lifestyle. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. You know, you know something that somebody's so passionate about and that they, you know. One of the most interesting two hours of my entire career was um, a few years back we published a novel um, in a line of sort of pulp reprints that we did called Planet Stories that I was in charge of um, and we published a novel by Gary Gygax who is the oh. guy who created D&D and for two hours, and this, this turned out to be the year before he passed away, and so we had him at the Paizo booth signing copies of our book. And I was sort of the official Gary handler. You know, I'd known Gary for a couple of years from different conventions and stuff. And um, and I was, I'd have been damned if I'd let someone else sit in that <laughs> chair, you know. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'm sitting there, and for two hours at a convention with like 40,000 people, it was just an endless stream of people coming up to Gary and thanking him for the, you know, for the significant impact what he had created made on their lives. You know, people said I would never have met my wife if I hadn't played D and D. I was a really bad student, but you know, learning math and vocabulary through the game totally. And now I'm an editor or something like that. You know, and. It was amazing. I mean, it, I, I've never experienced anything like that. It was just like a barrage 
of, oh my God, you've changed my life. You mean so much to me. Thank you so much for what you've done. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing like maybe Stan Lee gets that kind of, uh, you know, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. um, feedback. I certainly don't. You know, a yeah. couple of people are like, I can't believe you wrote that broken encounter that killed my character. Okay, yeah, I get that. You know? <laughs> but like, you know, and people are very nice, but like, like there was why nothing. I go to bodyguards now. <laughs> there was nothing like that that yeah. day with Gary. And, and you're right. I mean, it, it, it is, I think because it's interactive, mm-hmm the connection that people have to these experiences in their heart is just so strong. Mm-hmm. And and that in some ways is, you know, you, you asked earlier, like, is there an element of fear to, you know, doing these characters, you know, the responsibility of these characters? And that's definitely there. Mm-hmm. But I'm also, in the, the appendices of each of these worldscape issues, I'm also statting them up officially for the Pathfinder RPG. So whereas I'm a little bit worried about maybe doing a turn of phrase or something that maybe doesn't ring totally true as what Red Sony would say, mm-hmm. I'm even more worried about, like, giving her an intelligence score, you know? Yeah. And, like, oh, yeah. and, like, how do I how do I make it so that she can wear her you know, three metal triangles mm-hmm. as armor and still kick ass with a guy who's wearing full plate mail armor because right. the Pathfinder rules don't really work that way right. necessarily. And so I'm trying to like design a way around that problem. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's the part I'm a little bit more worried about because that's the part people are going to use in their own games. And if I get it wrong, their character might die or, yeah. you know, or they're going to, you know, that they're going to be a little more, more angry. Yeah. That's, ah, man, it feels like a lot of pressure. It is, but it's <laughs> also super, super fun. You know, I yeah. mean, I, I, you know, when I was a kid, like there were, I was very like, okay, I'm either now I'm playing with my GI Joe toys or I'm playing with my star Wars toy. Mm-hmm. Like, but every once in a while you had to just jam them all together and just right. tell, tell a cool story. And that's kind of what worldscape is. So like getting the opportunity to be like, here's the official pathfinder rules for a formed green Martian of Barcelona you know like you can't do that outside of a license you know uh, arrangement I can do a knockoff Martian right but I can't do the real Martian so on the same time that I'm worried about it I'm also super stoked about it and excited about it you know I used to run around my house yelling I am Batman who did you pretend to be when I was like little, I would have been probably I thought that was last night no yeah well that too yeah (laughs) last night that's just you know that's just Tuesday Um, uh, I think Spider-Man. Why not? Spider-Man, yeah. Spider-Man. Okay. Uh, but I'm wondering, Eric, when you're when you're coming up with these stats for all these characters, yeah. like John Carter, yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, Red Sonia, how much of it is like, well, you know, I want to make sure my Pathfinder characters were, were top tier, or do you want to like, well, not, John Carter? <laughs> I mean, he's so awesome. I got to put him the top. I mean, part <laughs> of what I I, I want to do with the comic is the idea is that this this dimension called the Worldscape is pulls in like the greatest warriors from Barsoom, Earth, and Galarian, the world of the Pathfinder RPG, and but it's been going on for like a thousand years, or actually more than a thousand years. And so the magic doesn't quite work the way it once did. Mm-hmm. So you, yeah, you're maybe gonna be a great warrior, but maybe you're not a great warrior mm-hmm. now, right? So like, there could be children, there could be old men, you know, old women. Like it, it's not perfect. And so the Pathfinder heroes are being brought into the worldscape maybe a little bit prematurely. And so characters like Red Sonia and John Carter, because in some ways they're the inspiration for fantasy role playing period i wanted the different encounters with these characters to reflect that and so the existing sort of um, fantasy characters in pathfinder terms are generally a couple levels higher than the pathfinder characters you know and so the pathfinder characters about sixth level and red zone is eighth level you know that kind of a thing <laughs> and so like they're better you know they're full-on better and the way that that pathfinder works is it's like i don't want to get too pedantic here but it's like you have a certain number of points and then you move those points and oh, i want a strength and that of 18 and that cost me four points or whatever um 
with Redsonia and Tyrus Tarkas and stuff, I just let the story guide me to the right statistics. So technically, Redsonia's stats are better than Valoros's stats. Oh well, you know, she's been around since 1973, Valoros. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, <laughs> She's buddy. earned it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, now, Josh, for you, uh, you're a novelist. Yeah. Uh, in addition to teaching and stuff, but now you're doing comics. So what's it like uh, and now, right, being an author, writing your own novel, I mean, that's just you. You can do anything you want, but now you're doing in a collaborative medium. So right. you're working with an artist. What's uh, what's it been like? Has it been as easy, an easy transition? Or has it been a little challenging? Oh, it's it's been wonderful. I love collaboration. I always have loved cl- love, uh, collaboration. And, and novel writing is not as collaborative, absolutely, but it does get collaborative. Uh, for example, I have, a, I have a great relationship with my editor, and I know that you know uh, as soon as my first draft is finished and I get it to her, her input makes it what it becomes. And uh, so it, it is collaborative in that sense, but uh, working uh, hand-in-hand with, with the artists and with the editors uh, at Marvel, it's so uh, moment-to-moment collaborative, and in a way that kind of reminds me of when I did theater. Um, I, I have a, a master's degree in English and a master's degree in theater, and uh, Doing theater for me always was about the collaboration, always was about at 2 a.m. you're with a group of people who are also up at 2 a.m. doing something that maybe a handful of people will get to experience and will get to enjoy, not because it's an exclusive event, but just because it's theater and more people do, you know, are, are uh, going to spend their time doing other things. Uh, such as, uh, well, any, anything else. Um, well, I, was unfortunately. Theater, I was a theater major, too. So All it's right, like, so, yeah. oh, you're going to that sports game? Yeah. I'll be here right. at <laughs> rehearsal <laughs> right. until real late. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, people who don't do it don't understand it, but yeah. people who do do it, 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 it uh, creates this this unity that um, really uh, is special. And the friendships that I still have from college are uh, from the people, but most of them are people that I worked on plays with because really you are uh, in the quote-unquote trenches uh, doing something, uh, fighting the good fight, so to speak, and you're doing that not alone but with other people who are as passionate as you are about it. And uh, that's one of the uh, most exciting things about working on Deadpool is I'm working with people, uh, artists and editors, who are as passionate about making sure that the character is served well. I mean, they are the caretakers of Deadpool, and they respect the audience, and they respect the characters, and I, uh, you know, do as well. And I am just uh, grateful to be working with people who uh, wear their passion on their sleeve and are not embarrassed to be sincere in their uh, fandom. That's great. Now, yeah. actually, for both of you guys, when you're writing a script now for an artist that you're collaborating with, there's so many different ways you could do it. You could do full script. You could do, like, the Marvel style, as they say. Do you have uh, a preference on how you like to treat it? Um, yeah, I do the full script. I, um, Dynamite, who's the only publisher I've worked with for so far on comics, um, does full scripts mm. and stuff. I, I think it'd be fun to do sort of the Marvel style where it's like, make them fight, and then I'll decide <laughs> what they're saying, you know. Um, but no, I've never done it that way. And uh, I actually did the Marvel style. Did uh, you really? I did. Oh, that's exciting. And, and the, most most time, Marvel doesn't do it that way, but because it began as an infinite comic, that's the only way they could make it work, is I wrote it out, uh, if, for those who don't know, a Marvel style is essentially you write out the plot. You, you plot it, you know, detail to detail, but you don't have too much dialogue. It's essentially it, you're reading a summary uh, of, of a very uh, detailed outline. And that went to Riley, who then laid it out digitally. 
and then it went to Todd, who drew it, and then it went back to me for the script, for actually writing the dialogue. Mm-hmm. So, and that this is the way, uh, essentially, this is the way that uh, Jack and Stan mm-hmm. uh, collaborated in the 1960s, so it's called the Marvel Way. And uh, to be able to do that was extremely difficult at first, <laughs> but it also actually kind of spoke to my own personal strengths as a writer because I was kind of writing it like a short story first, mm. and then I was writing, and then I was writing it like a play after I had the the, uh, the artwork. So it, it was it was really exciting, and, and the w- book I'm working on right now actually is being done more traditionally, and I kind of miss doing it the Marvel way, you know, because that 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 was it was just so. Challenging, but challenging in a very, very creatively exciting way. It's really collaborative. Yeah, ex- you know, it's it, like it's like working yeah. in a kitchen where you've got you know you've got like your your chef and your saucier and the sous and all the people that are That's kind right. of touching it down the line and yeah. Um, our, but the pipeline for my show is actually similar. We're a storyboard driven show, mm-hmm. so it's really strange because the, the storyboard is being developed at the same time as the script. So it starts with an outline, outline gets approved, and then it's slowly developed. And then after it's got its really rough storyboard, I go through and I draft a script based on all the dialogue that the writers put in. Right. So it is it is it's strange, but now having done it, it, I feel like it would be so hard to, knowing other shows that do that, they're like, here's your script, go. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it, it would be so different, but well, kind of nice, too. It is, but yeah. Well, different. It, it's less of an assembly line, more like an assembly circle, mm-hmm. in a yeah. way. And, and uh, I... You know, it makes it more collaborative, as you said. And because of that, uh, I was having conversations with the artists that I don't know if uh, other writers, you know, they don't have to have these conversations with their artists. Um, but because that, it, you know, it just, I, I really do believe it made the book so much better. Yeah, great. Because I guess you, there's that element of surprise when you get layouts back and you're just like, I would never have thought about play, you know, making the camera <laughs> shot there or yes. being in a close-up. I thought I was just managing it in a wide shot, but it, and the way they could pace it out. Mm-hmm. So much different than trying to determine, like, or now how I have to script it according to, and now I've got this kind of panel layout. How do mm-hmm. I tell my story still? Right, yeah. I mean, like I said, right now I'm writing a, a, a traditional book uh, for uh, January, and uh, it's a, a Spider-Man Deadpool um, one-shot to coincide with the Monsters Unleashed uh, big event that Marvel's doing in January. And that's that, exciting. Oh, it's it's, it's a blast. It, it's uh, basically giant monsters uh, trash the world. <laughs> it's it's a whole lot of fun, and um, and that's being done uh, traditionally. So it's done like medium shot, and uh, you know it's more dictating what, what uh, specifically what the art uh, is. Uh, what what I would like it, to, what I would prefer it to be. Of course, you know, once it goes to the artist, the artist it's the artist's work, and then. That's how the collaboration works. But to do it the moral way, it is very much like, okay, I'm going to trust that the artist is going to meet my sensibilities. And it turned out that's exactly what happened. We had the same uh, wacky and uh, goofy sensibilities, and uh, you know, it fit the Deadpool meets Clue dynamic. Did you feel so lucky every damn day? Like, this could have gone completely wrong. I could have gotten somebody that just had a completely different take well, on it. I, you know, I'm, in, in part it was luck, but in part I think, it, you know, uh, the editors, Jordan and Heather, they, mm-hmm. they, uh, they're matchmakers. That's part of the job as the editors is to matchmake, uh, to matchmake, to make matches. To yeah. Matchmaker, yeah. matchmaker. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, and, and they're very good at their jobs. So uh, they... Uh, fit together uh, like-minded uh, nutcases. 
That's amazing. <laughs> I want to I want to ask you so many more questions, but I know you, you warned us when you came in that you couldn't stay very long. Um, so I guess we should wrap up a little bit. Yeah. Is there anything else? So obviously, anybody listening, go check out these books. They sound super fun. Uh, I've not had the pleasure of reading them yet, but I will now. Awesome. There um, you so go. So please check it out. Is there anything else that you guys uh, want to talk about? Anything else that you're you said you're looking forward to? Um, to the Spider-Man Deadpool thing coming out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Spider-Man Deadpool thing. Very the, precise language go, yes. on my end. Because <laughs> I've really been enjoying the uh, the Joe Kelly at McGinnis uh, Spider-Man yeah. Deadpool. So that'd yeah. be cool to see another somebody else dealing with that collaboration. Yeah, too. Was, it hasn't been great. That, yes. Yeah, I love. Yeah, I just love the dynamic between Spider-Man Deadpool. I love the relationship they have, uh, where it's you know you have the straight man and then the comic, but they're both kind of not the straight man yes. and, and it's, it's just it's so wonderful uh, so to, just to be able to, to uh, play with Spider-Man and Deadpool uh, and a giant monster and in, in my book uh, also a coven of teenage uh, Canadian witches and as you do as you do uh, you know double double d- during yes uh, d- during a snowstorm and you know just a whole bunch of just wacky crazy fun stuff happening in that one issue it's a super sized issue 30 pages uh coming out in january uh it's going to be spider-man deadpool monsters unleashed the cover actually was revealed uh two days ago and it is so uh so great and so i'm doing that i'm doing a secret project with marvel uh secret in so much as it hasn't been announced yet uh or at least i i I would like to talk about it but i can't uh (laughs) we'll have you back uh yes yes that would be great uh that and that'll be in march and april and uh and i have a novel coming out next year as well the third book in my uh zina dumark series with uh, random house great uh just real quick how has it been balancing just doing your writing your novels and balancing with your comic work uh, well, the novels are thrillers, and while they do contain a great deal of comedy, they are they're thrillers. They're uh, suspense-driven, and sometimes can get very serious. And one thing that I like to do in my thrillers is deal with social issues. And so it really is just like, okay, flick the switch, uh, and it, it actually becomes almost relief. Okay, I you know I'm flexing this muscle. This muscle's tired. Now I get to you know work on uh, you know this other muscle instead, and. Uh, I, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, it's kind of the best of both worlds. Readers w- might completely disagree with me, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's to be seen. Yeah. Very cool. cool. Uh, yeah, and Eric, how about yourself? Um, well, as far as comics are going, Pathfinder Worldscape is kind of my full-time, you know, side project. Uh, I've got five more issues after this first one. I've got some stuff I'm working on beyond that, but nothing I can really talk about yet. Um, but on the RPG side, one of the things I'm very, very excited about is next year, um, next summer, we're launching a new science fantasy role-playing game called Starfinder that's kind of based off of Pathfinder, but it's like full-on space opera, aliens, oh, spaceship fun. combat, oh, stuff nice. like that. Yeah. So we're just in the process of playtesting that right now. And so, you know, every few days at the office, it's like, let's throw down some spaceships and shoot each other. And, uh, what a and terrible place to work. I know, work. it's terrible. Oh. And, and really, after working <laughs> on, you know, sword and sorcery fantasy for the last um, years, uh, getting to kind of switch it up with uh, spaceships and laser guns and jetpacks and aliens is, like, super cool for That's me. That's so great. If you're doing something like that, taking something that's more like uh, swords and sorcery, taking it more like the space, is mm-hmm. it pretty much just like uh, just an easy translation, or are there things that are just 
in a space space based space based play that would not work in a mystical kind. Yeah, of I mean, there's actually a lot. You know, that's one of the challenges is that um, like Pathfinder, for example, is very focused on uh, you know face to face melee combat. You know, with swords and shields and things. Whereas science fiction tends to be more about fighting at range with with you know energy weapons and things. And so what we've had to do with Starfinder is really kind of pull apart the system a little bit. And so the armor class system that works with like I swing a sword at you and either it bounces off your metal plate or it doesn't isn't necessarily diverse enough for a game system where we wanted to have you know plasma weapons and disintegrator pistols and you know EMP pulses and things like that that all do different things so yeah we've had to make some significant changes and probably the most significant one is is the starship combat stuff which one of the things I really love about it is it, it the game is very much more like Star Wars than Star Trek in that it's got fantasy elements, there's magic in the, the world, etc. But in terms of the starship combat, that's where it gets very Star Trek-y. So every member of the team, well, first of all, it's a default assumption that you have a spaceship. You're the crew of a spaceship. That's the, you know, that's what you are. It's like you're an adventuring party, you're a starship crew. So you have a ship from day one, and you modify that ship as you get better and things like that. So as your characters are getting more powerful, you're jazzing up your ship with better drives and better guns and what have you. But in combat, every member of the, the team has a different role. You know, so Josh might be our captain, and he He's barking orders at us and giving Hell us little yeah. bonuses. You know, <laughs> Amanda's the gunner, so yeah. she's you know shooting and yeah, and uh, you know you're uh, Frank's on engineering. You know, I'm giving it all I can. You know, yeah. and so like everybody's got something to do. You know, and and a lot of times in games like this. Uh, usually it's just one player has, you know, I'm piloting the ship, so now that we're doing spaceship combat, the rest, everyone's looking at their phones and whatever, but this is, like, very intense, and, like, everybody gets in on the action, and I'm super stoked. It comes out in August. That's great. Are you the plucky comic relief in our crew? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. great. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Fantastic. That's so great. That sounds like a blast. Yeah, just one other quick question about that. When you're developing a new system, Mm -hmm. uh, so you're doing star-based stuff, and you're saying you just take your original game and then kind of started tweaking it. Do you just start playing it as a star-based game, and then when you run into a roadblock, like, oh, that's something we need to tweak Um, and fix? No, I I think sort of the first thing we do is kind of try to get the 10,000 foot view and, and we know enough about the system after working with it for a decade that it's like oh it's probably not going to handle this element particularly mm-hmm. well and then we kind of iterate and we go okay mm, does this work and that's when we start playing it and then we it's more about fine tuning so it's not so much like let's just start with Pathfinder and then every time we hit a hiccup we try to anticipate the hiccups first mm-hmm. and then there's a bunch we can't of course <laughs> you know? so and that's kind of the process we're in right now is taking our first sort of shot at it and seeing how accurate we were wow yeah, yeah. is it much like uh, like uh, releasing like an ios system where you do that first and then all of a sudden you realize like oh well, we kind of released it we know there's a couple, a couple gaps and we're going to kind of tweak it and fix it as we're on the fly well it's in print so it's harder to do uh, that yeah. you know i mean we do we've gone through like seven printings of the pathfinder core rulebook since it came out and we do you know make minor changes little errata and things like that so there is some of that um but you know yeah, we just try and get it right. The yeah, first right. Time. Yeah, because I remember uh, Rollmaster when I was growing up. <laughs> Rollmaster, Rollmaster yeah. which was a great book, and, and they had Space Master too, mm-hmm. uh, which was also a lot of fun. But Rollmaster, um, they released their core books, and their whole thing was, well, we'll just keep releasing supplementary material. So much so there's like thirty something like thirty supplementary books, and some of those books were basically existed to fix mechanical errors yeah. in the main book. I, I mean, it was a great system, but it was extremely data-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it sounds like you're, you're 
you know, doing something really smart to avoid. We're uh, trying. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and but but it, that's the nature so of the beast, yeah. you know. Sure. And then what ends up happening is then you release it into the wild, and everyone's like, "Well, I, I love what you've done, but what if I want to give my character wings and a halo and a you know." Uh, and I want him to ride around in a mech, and you're like, "Oh my God, there's no mech rules in the game," you know. And then you do a mech book, and everyone's happy, you know. So, yeah. So I guess you have to wait just for everything you could not possibly think of. Then all of a sudden, once you release it, then you get. Well, I mean, there is, there's a lot of truth like to that, it. right? Yeah. I mean, 10, 20, 30, 40,000 brains are better than the fifteen nerds I've got working on this stuff, <laughs> yeah. you know. And and so, but that's also kind of cool. I mean, that's where you get the idea, and you kind of know, hey. I mean, one of the philosophies that I've, I mean, it's not rocket science but it's like if you give people what they tell you they want they will probably give you money for it you know and so like we like to have a really open relationship with our community and always be listening to what they want from us and if there's some mystery that we've introduced like and that's really catching people's interest we'll come back to it you know that's great that's cool it's supportive as hell looking online yeah Everybody seems great. That's awesome all right so uh gentlemen as we wrap up where can they find you online if they want to keep track of everything that you're doing uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at uh, Joshua Corin. Uh, that's uh, J-O-S-H-U-A-C-O-R-I-N. Or you can find me on Facebook. Or you can probably find me uh, elsewhere in places that uh, I'm not even aware that I, I exist. But <laughs> I, I'm sure Google is. And uh, Well, I've got a few ways you can get in touch with me. I have a, a website, ericmona.com, E-R-I-K-M-O-N-A. Um, that's also my Twitter handle, so at Eric Mona, and then I'm on Facebook at Eric Mona Author. Awesome. Now, Josh, I saw your tweet there saying you're going to be here tonight signing at Meltdown. You said there was going to be candy as well. I didn't see yes. any candy. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> this is why we really brought you guys yes, in. Right. So, wow. yeah. some, so Frank could harass you about there being no <laughs> so, candy. <laughs> funny story about the candy. You're the worst, um, Frank. So <laughs> I got this big bag of M&Ms. I spent, uh, it was nine ninety nine at Vons. And uh, I, you know, I, I was like, I'm gonna bring it. I'm gonna have this big bowl of candy because when I was when I, I used to do signings for my novels, I would at Open Arms whatever, I would just have like a uh, a tin full of candy so people would stop by and then you start a conversation and maybe they uh, buy your book, at, but at the very, at very least they get some candy. And uh, and I I forgot it. So uh, on one hand, uh, I didn't bring the candy here, but on the other hand. I have ten dollars worth of M&Ms now waiting for me at my apartment. So it's a it's a plus it's a win win. It is for, for me for me yes. at least for me and my di- my my incipient di- di- diabetes it, it's uh, <laughs> it, it is going to be uh, uh, and and you know my doctor in a couple weeks probably it'll, it'll be a win win win. Well, I did not know there was supposed to be candy. I stole this from the Northwest uh, okay. or sorry the uh, Delta Sky Lounge. Oh, wow. so here's a piece oh, of. Uh, there's a piece Frank, of candy fresh from candy. Eric's bag. Boom. Yes. All right. I, can, I don't have enough to go around because I didn't know that Josh well, had made promises. Frank and I are going to have to, yeah. Yeah. Gonna have to yeah. share that. So, yeah. That's premium airport candy. That's, that's airport right. candy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stuff yeah. Here. That's, that's why we can't have nice people candy. here, Frank, because you're just going to harass them about something that they didn't bring with them. That's right. why we can't have guests. Next time you have people in here, you'd be like, no, I understand you were going to bring $100 bills. Also, you have complimentary uh, combo colors. You get the purple and the green. Mm-hmm. That. Yes, that's, right. Yes, that's right. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, Amanda, where can they find you online? They can find me at uh, Comic Book Novice on Twitter and Instagram. Um, they can hashtag that to find both of us. Yes. Uh, personal musings at Barnes Rights. 
on Twitter. And yeah. you can follow me on Twitter at Happy Go Jackie. Mm -hmm. So there With you go. With an IE, not a Y. That's right. Why? Because why not, I guess. That's there right. you go. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, in the meantime, we want to say thank you so much for you guys. Yes. For oh, hey, thanks in. for having us. It's, it's been great. really fun. Yeah. Um, it's cool. Thank you to the listeners who I know we were going to talk about Walking Dead tonight. This is so much more fun. This is more, more fun. So next Absolutely. week. Wait, wait, wait. Next week we'll so, talk so, about Walking so this, Dead. So this is a blurb. More fun than with Walking Dead. Yeah. That's right. Can we put that on our backs? You're welcome. That's really good. So next next week we'll be talking about Negan Ark and The Walking Dead. That's right. Uh, thank you for the Nerdist School recording in their podcast booth, yes. as Frank said. Follow them on social media. Thanks to Trevor hey. for being so patient. <laughs> our uh, audio engineer <laughs> over here. Very great and supportive. And yeah. now we're going to play ourselves out, right? That's right, yes. All right. Comics. Comics in the digital medium or in paper. Buy them at a comic shop every single Wednesday. <laughs> Pay them with your money. <laughs> Card or cash, PayPal or Bitcoin. <laughs> no. Get over your honey. <laughs> we are the novice. And Frank. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. <laughs> that was a really long song. That was really, that went on way too long. Yeah, way too long. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, boy. Oh.